What's up? What's up? What is up? You know what it is. It's another Friday. And not just another Friday. This is the first Friday of the year. We did last week, which was the last Friday of the year. Now we start off 2023 with the first Friday of the year, but just like every Friday. We get a group of men together and we record the Ball Hog Sports Talk. The whole crew is in the building this week. And today's episode is going by the title of Drum roll, please, in my head. Yes, today's episode is going by the title of Domestic Violence. Um, and anyone who is, has participated in the Ball Hawk Sports Talk, you know we take pride in our titles, so we'll explain it uh, when we come back. The whole crew's in the building. We'll do the introductions. We just want to make sure you awake. Get your coffee. Get your Gatorade. Get whatever you use to hydrate because the whole crew is in the building. It is a Friday. It is domestic violence episode of the Ball Hog Sports Talk. So with no further ado, fasten your seatbelt because let's go. Wake up, wake up, wake up and stay woke because this is the Ball Hog Sports Talk with your boy. B. Brown, ESQ, a.k.a. the Ball Hog, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South. This is the place where sports, business, and entertainment collide. And we're going to give it to you rough, rugged, and raw. So come get you a spoonful, like some grits with butter and salt. You know how we do it in the South, y'all. Make sure you do not get caught in your feelings. Strap on your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Come on, let's go, 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 go. Yes, you know what it is. We in the building. Normally, we would welcome our man, the Big Flow Show, from the, what is it called? The Middle Coast, there in Middle the Central Coast. Time Middle Coast, yep. but not today. Not today. Uh-uh, not so fast, my friend. For the first Friday of 2023, we are welcoming to the stage the Big Flow Show coming from some sunny place. We will not disclose his location because he owes at least a few people a few dollars, so we ain't disclosing no no, no locations, but he got a sunny location that he is recording from today. It's the man, the myth, the legend, thou who shall be known as Mr. Middle Coast from the Central Time Zone. He is the Big Flow Show. What up, my brother? Man, what's good, man? I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time hearing you over all the sunshine, but uh, I'm going to do my best. You know, if you had to repeat yourself a little bit, sometimes it's, you know, but no, it's nice sometimes to change the weather, man. You know, you get a little old and stuff. I start getting that arthritis in my knees and I need to just yeah. do something with just kind of alleviate that for a little while. So, yes, took a couple of days to hop down to the sunnier side of the country. Nothing wrong with that, man. As I'm, couldn't, as miss, I'm my, couldn't miss my boys, man. Too much to talk about today. Couldn't miss my fellas, man. So, you know, I'm going to sacrifice some of this sunshine, and I'm going to hang out with y'all for a couple hours. That word, sacrifice, some of my whole life, I've messed it up. The Nipsey Rupp's song. But the sacrifice that he talks about, we are encouraging every one of you to sacrifice, too. You've already sacrificed by tuning in and waking up this early. We ask you to make another sacrifice like we ask humbly every week. Please like, please comment, please share, please tag a friend, please tag a foe, please tag anybody that you know, and please subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast. And please welcome to the stage also. He's from the East Coast in a normal background. Back with us this week, you know who it is. The man, the myth, the legend, thou shall be known as ETP, Elster, producer. Normally sporting something with Boston on, but he took he gave us a break this week. What up, ETP? 
Good morning. Good morning. I've never been so angry to see sunshine in my life, considering <laughs> that it's rainy and cloudy. As long as it's not snowing here in New Jersey, I'm okay. But uh, even you even sound like an old person when you, when you say arthritis. I, my arthritis. arthritis is acting Kick up. It in. He added syllables. <laughs> That's how you know it's acting up. It's starting to alleviate, though. It's starting, you know what I'm saying? Look at these knees. A couple solar uh, rotations. <clears throat> hey, hey, but good for you, man. You know, look, we, we hating a little bit, but not a lot. If somebody is going to enjoy it, at least it's somebody a part of the crew. Enjoy the sun, man. But you did not shun your responsibilities. You came to the, the, the pit. You came to the jungle. You came to the wild. You came to the arena known as Ball Hawk Sports Talk. And in this episode, we're going to talk about domestic violence. That's the name of this episode. And domestic violence for us, well, you know, for everybody. From, from a, a definition standpoint, if you look it up on dictionary.com, a place that some of y'all need to go on a daily basis, give your word of the day and expand your vocabulary. But that phrase is defined as an act of violence or abuse against a person living in one's household, especially a member of one's immediate family. And that's how we know and receive domestic violence globally here in the country. That's how we talk about it. But we're going to talk about it in a nuanced way because that's what we do for the Ball Hawk Sports Talk. There were some traditional domestic violence stories in sports this week. So we'll get to those. But we're going to start talking about it in a different way because we know violence. Um, from a domestic standpoint, domestic is also meaning like here in the United States. Domestic means that it is the uh, opposite, the antonym of, of wild. It, it is, is a refined and, and, and less uh, a, a savage style. You would call that a domesticated animal is one that's not in the wild. So when we break those words down and put it together and, and package it for this show, domestic violence is the perfect title for what we saw this week. In a Monday night game where it felt like the whole country was watching. In a game that from an important standpoint stood out because it was going to determine a lot when it came to the AFC in the playoffs. Against two of the young upcoming quarterbacks that have been identified as the promise of the NFL and to be honest, they're the present, not just the future. They are two of the best in the league. A game that we highlighted here on last week's show, we got a total of three possessions into that game, and it felt like our entire world changed. A young man by the name of DeMar Hamlin, a reserve safety who is now in the starting lineup, ironically, because of an injury, came up and tackled a wide receiver, T. Higgins, in what would be defined as a routine tackle. And that routine tackle, right after it, he immediately hops to his feet and then collapses and our hearts and minds, I think, in that moment, were absolutely stunned and, and changed. And, and, and we all were scrambling to reconcile what we, what we were seeing on the TV. But I, I think our hearts and minds forever will, will change when it comes to this game. And routine tackles anything but routine. 
So we start by continuing the thoughts and prayers for Demar Hamlin. It sounds like his from a health perspective, and 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 look, I struggled with even making this a part of our topics this week because it was that just that hard to watch. Uh, he hits the ground with is being defined as a cardiac arrest, a cardiac event. There's CPR administered. There's at least 30 minutes. There's players that have emotional responses. The telecast is confused. They're, they're, we're up in in, 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 in in sort of this big cloud of uncertainty when it comes to what we see on TV, but also the subsequent health reports for DeMar Hamlin. It was just a lot of uncertainty. So we're thankful that we're at this point this Friday where it looks like the young man is going to live. With that, now we can start discussing and unpacking what we saw. We all have sons. We all have played football. We all have coached football. Let's start there just from a health perspective because domestic violence, while the game is – they're policing the game better. The equipment is better. They're refereeing it a way to protect players and to take the head contact out and the trauma that is associated and leading to CTE. But the truth of the matter is we saw that this game will never, ever be completely risk-free. Um, and no order whatsoever. I know you guys were watching and were just as, as, as mind-boggled as I was. Let's talk about DeMar Hamlin from a safety perspective and watching the injury and what that means for, for how we define football going forward. I mean, personally, I look at it and say, I guess it went back this 50 years ago. It happened to some guy and he, and he passed away. Um, he had a heart attack on the field. I can't remember what his name was. I had it, but it was five decades past his widow's like 78 years old or something like that. Um, for the Lions, is that the guy played for the Lions? I think so. I know they administer um, CPR, so, but go ahead. Yeah, and so I just look at that and say, you know, I don't want to brush it off, but when I look at it, it's it's scary because of how routine it was and how no big deal it was. And to even say the hit stopped his heart, but he got to his feet, so it obviously didn't even hurt, you know, not to that level, you know, because you, you roll an ankle, you might be rolling around for a little while. You might, you know, get hit and get the wind knocked out of you and you can't get up. So right. for him to be able to stand up and then die, I mean, that's in essence, he stood up and, and died. It's so weird. Um, I feel like we're going to find out that there's an underlying condition. Um, I'm not saying I hope that on him. I'm not saying that to protect the sport. I'm just saying that it's so unexplainable to me when they say that you got hit in the exact millisecond that you had to get hit for that to happen. But you think your heart beats – 90 to 100 times, 100, probably 50 times a minute during a football game, that millisecond has to be repeating itself over and over and over and over and over again. Have we just missed that millisecond every time that we've hit and we just didn't get hit like that? So from that standpoint, I'm confused. Honestly, it doesn't matter. I'm happy that he's alive. I'm happy that by the time the show, you know, we're doing this show, you know, we've obviously been thinking about this since Monday, but we can say it looks like it's going to have a happy ending. Um, I think the biggest question mark is kind of what happened that day, you know, how people reacted that day. I, from my understanding, they wanted to start the game again before the Bills coach called over uh, um, the other coach and started talking about it. And then they decided to go to the locker room and postpone. 
but I think they were about to restart the game, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't condemn anybody right away for that because I think it's when something happens unprecedented and you're kind of in the moment, sometimes you don't know what to do. Sometimes it takes at least one person, which like we say this every time there's a bad decision. Did nobody have more sense than that? And somebody had more sense than that. So I'm not going to condemn the people that initially thought maybe we should play because they're in a state of shock and they kind of don't know what to do because it's unprecedented. Right. And then, but I do like the fact that when the uh, wiser heads prevail and spoke up, they're like, yeah, you're right. Let's go in the locker room. Let's see what's going on. What do we do? What do we do? Sean Again. McDermott is the bills coach that, that, you know, basically was the savior of the moment. Zach Taylor is the Bengals coach that, you, you, it sounds insensitive, insensitive, but I think that that has just become so routine that you just get back to football. Mm-hmm. And and that's the weird part that Demar Hamlin's happy ending from a health perspective, meaning that he's alive. You know, it it, it def, there's there's levels to happiness in terms of the ending. We'll see what happens if he ever wants to play. I we're gonna get to that. I mean, have but, you ever but, played? But, you know, it, it's, it's, that's what we do. We go back to football. And and in a weird way, that's what we're going to do. Now that we know that this young man's going to live, they're going to get back to football. So I I, I agree that, that, that it seemed odd that we would even be contemplating going back to playing football after teammates, brothers, just witnessed what, you know, CPR is that. They are trying to resuscitate. That was that was a, a lot of syllables. That was almost like arthritis. Uh, they're trying to resuscitate someone there in live time. So yeah, he he, he was face to face with death, and so to then think that his teammates are going to go out and play just seems crazy. But that indeed what happened. ETP, I'll, I'll go to you, man. Uh, so weigh in as well, and then we can go back and forth. I don't have an angle about this. I just feel like how dare we not talk about it? We watched a game that has been is being changed for the safer uh, to for safety to make it safer and we watched a hit that didn't seem out of the ordinary that hit offensively or defensively wouldn't draw a flag and yet it almost took a man's life Allegedly. yeah i mean it's you know the thing that's the thing that's just kind of interesting about it is i mean the from my vantage point, the only reason that they didn't continue the game is because the players were affected so dramatically by what happened. It wasn't the fans. It wasn't the league. Like, if the players were ready to play, they would have played the game is how I see it. But you could tell how impacted players on both sides were by what they saw up close, impersonal, with somebody having cardiac arrest and having to be revived on the field. So the idea is if the players were ready to play, the game would have been played. Like the compassion and all this other stuff and the league should have canceled the game. From my vantage point, if the players were ready to walk on the field and continue playing, because when players get carted off and players are still comfortable to keep playing, they keep playing. When somebody has head injuries, when somebody gets paralyzed, you know, there's there's been plenty of instances not when the, an ambulance came on and had to take you know somebody needed to be you know brought back to life but there's been a lot of a lot of you know catastrophic injuries health risks to a lot of players over the course of you know the history of the NFL 
And if the players are ready to keep playing, the show will go on. This was a little bit different. You could see how affected the players were. So, I mean, from the NFL standpoint, even if the NFL was an upstanding, compassionate organization, which I make no claims that they are, quite quite the contrary, it would take time to cancel a game, right? Like this, it's not just a, it's not a birthday party, right? Like there's a lot of moving pieces to an NFL football game. There's security, there's players, there's, there's thousands of people in the stadium, there's broadcast, there's, there's all types of things that are happening. And so, you know, the uproar about, oh, they didn't cancel the game immediately. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not just having somebody over your house for a couple drinks. It's it's a whole production that involves thousands, if not you know, hundreds of thousands of people. So that part for me, as as much as I don't think that the NFL is more concerned, much more concerned with the player health than what will get a good product out there for the fans to consume. There's you know there's no way that they probably should have moved any quicker and made any rash decisions. The whole thing was, I mean, it was a matter of, you know, 20, 30 minutes, but at the end of the day, I don't know what the capacity of that stadium is, but the sins were filled until they canceled that game. If everybody was up in arms about them canceling the game, they should have walked out. So I don't put it on the NFL to say, Oh, well this game should have been over and they should, we all, everybody, the TVs were still on. People were still in the stadium. Point. Yeah, you have so a very, ultimately very, nobody walked out of that stadium, so they weren't so appalled that they needed no. to go. I just think it's unprecedented. Sorry to cut you off. It's so unprecedented that you can't judge people for a split second decision. I think you had to let it. You had to let the enormity of the situation weigh in before you could just tell the, the fans it's time to go. If they would say up oh, time to go, everybody go home. It would have had really mixed reviews. But after a while, and you sit there for a while, and they thought about it, I think everybody in, comes to their collective minds. Some people in there drunk, you know, some people doing whatever. And, and again, to be fair to the in, in the stands, they don't really, and they kept saying as announcers, the fans don't know, you know, you'll never see a game less than when you go to it live. Like, you go to the game live, and you don't know what happened. And you're looking around. I've been to many games where I look, and a guy's hurt, and I didn't realize he was hurting out the game for, like, three series. I'm like, where's where's dude? Oh, he got hurt on that last play on the sideline. You didn't see it? No, I didn't see it. So, like, I think that they had to let it weigh in for a while before they sent everybody home and didn't yeah, have – You played in 1926. These days, everybody the in that – It's hard to somebody got hurt on the radio. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, like, that's the whole different thing. But everybody in that stand – in those stands knew just because the information that's now circulating on Twitter and through your text messages, like, everybody knew. That something serious had just happened, right? But you can't just yeah. But I mean, listen, decision that big quickly. No, no, there's no reason. I mean, there's no. This this is the issue with that. It's like, what is what's the negative impact of them going through all of the steps and the protocols to figure out what the next what the decision is going to be like. Outside of what the NFL is, given that they've covered up head injury for decades, that you know the payouts in terms of disability are contaminated, and they they act like an insurance company, and all of these things where they don't want to support players. I mean, the idea of like healthcare for retirees is a relatively young 
idea and implementation in the history of the league, like all of these things. So we know the NFL is not concerned, like humanely concerned with the health of the human beings that are playing and putting out this product. But that to be said, all that to say, what's the harm in saying, hold on for a second. Let's just talk about this and figure out what the best decision is. Cause they could have canceled the game, but at the end of the day, they still have to make a decision. It's not game canceled, done. Like right. there's a lot of different steps involved and a lot of people involved. So it's stupid to me that that's what you're criticizing the NFL for. Not that you're criticizing that like Tua, Tago, whatever, Tua from the Dolphins, whatever, however you say his last name, this man has had like seven concussions in the course of, you know, 16 games and he's still going out there and everything's fine. And the issue is because the players are comfortable with that level of risk that they will play. In this instance, the players were not comfortable. They were too shaken, but you'll be damn sure. Ain't no games getting canceled on Sunday this week because everybody's ready to get back to business. So let's talk about that because let's, and I agree with you guys. I just wanted to make sure we talked about it because that was a, a, a talking point. And a lot of, of, of people in our respective circles, both that night and the next day, were sort of shaming the NFL for even thinking about going out there. I would have to agree with you guys that they handled a horrible moment um, from a health standpoint, that it even happened, it was horrible. They handled it relatively well. But you, you, and before I do that, let me say this: uh, Denny Kellington is the one from the Buffalo Bills medical staff that administered the first round of CPR to Demar Hamlin, and so Denny Kellington won't be drafted in any fantasy leagues. Denny Kellington. Won't be going to the NFL Hall of Fame. Denny Callington won't be celebrated on any, you know, local news uh, when they talk about football. So I just want to make sure we say his name because CPR indeed saved Demar Hamlin's life. So Denny Callington, uh, salute to you, and, and hopefully other health professionals get recognized uh, in moments where they do uh, heroic things. But let's get to the second part of that, because the NFL, you're right, also has a a, a sort of a hypocrisy issue, because in the same week that that both of you and I I would agree will celebrate how they handled this. And in the same week that that they publicly decided to I'm not celebrating it. I'm not celebrating it. Giving giving them credit. You're giving the NFL credit for doing what was right in that moment. No, I'm saying I'm saying that the decision there needed to be a process of discussion and like risk analysis and just figuring out what the plan is going to be. I'm not I'm not sitting here and saying, oh, praise, praise the NFL because they made the right decision At at the end of the day, like the protocols and the operations of the entire production required a little bit of time and so people Fair. jumping in and saying cancel everything I shut off the lights and you know close close the parking lots like it takes a little bit of time that's all i'm fair. saying i'm not sitting fair. there praising anybody fair and i'm I, and again I, I i know how you feel about the nfl but at the end of that process they very well could very well could have said all right let's go out there and play and they did for sure they absolutely so, could have. The the good thing that they did, the the reputable thing that they did is they put it in the hands of the players to make the decision or they empowered that they gave the players 
the authority to decide. Granted, putting them out there when they didn't want to be out there would have been a whole other mess. And then they would have had a, a bigger crisis on their hands. Yeah. So they kind of, they did what they had to do. Like it, it went the way it had to go. Well, you would think that within the face of CTE, in the face of the public outcry in terms of retirees getting insurance and getting benefits a little more readily, in the face of all that, you would think that what they, what they have to do is be more fair to the players. Because you also brought that up in the sense that the same league that made that decision in that moment, did what they had to do, is the same league that will make you jump through hoops and literally with your hair on fire on one leg doing cartwheels in order to get benefits, in order to be vested in the pension, in order to try to get full disability from the NFL. I know several players that have gone through several iterations of going to these uh, neutral doctors and trying to get their benefits because they can't they, they can't immerse themselves back into society, into the workplace because of some of the issues that are related to their injuries in the NFL. The NFL will have freaking private investigators follow you that you don't that. that so, so in the same token, let's talk about that because I, I and I can't think of the, the man's name from Cleveland, but he did. A, he had a very emotional response to he basically saying we're in left field for even having this conversation and thoughts and prayers are one thing, but, it takes over three years for you to even qualify for your NFL pension. Just shy of four years. And players know that and we speak about it readily. I'm just trying to make it to pension. There are several players and generations of players that never, I'm included. I never made the pension. And luckily, you know, for me, I, I, I did things academically to, to set myself up, but, to, to say that I'm unique in that regard would be an understatement. So you got generations of players that have gone out there and taken the same risk that DeMar Hamlin took because what we saw in a routine tackle is that every play is, is inherently that risky. And so do you think this now presents a, an opportunity for the NFL to get it right more long-term, more meaningfully? from a health perspective, from a guaranteed contract perspective. DeMar Hamlin and the sports figure in Cleveland was just pointing out that all of that's cool, thoughts and prayers, but he most likely, and this was a little earlier in the week, so we got more information, but at that point, it's like he most likely won't play again, which means he never gets to the pension year, which means that his insurance and health care is not covered which means his mom, um, because she's not going to be getting an NFL check by way of uh, of her son because they're not guaranteed, and there will be no income on a monthly basis because he never reached pension, has to figure out how to deal with the, in, the, 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 the enormous cost of providing health care for their son that is in this situation because of football. And so does this now give the NFL a chance to really get it right? That was well, dress what? rehearsal on Monday. I mean, now, it, now let's it, really talk about getting it right. They have, they have, they've had an infinite amount of chances and examples to get it right. But I guess the question you are most informed of all of us, but I mean, from what I can see, the union should be playing a much bigger role in, I mean, I don't know the dynamics. I just know that historically I'll the NFL this. Players Association has been probably, let's say like, 
the least powerful of most major sports organizations to protect its basically to protect its constituency right so yeah so that's the that's that's the issue i'll interrupt with this i'm sorry to interrupt i'll just throw it back to you after i say this because in that same segment and i and i'm i should know the 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 media figure's name in cleveland my apologies i can't think of his name right now brother who does a great job and and, and it was a very emotional but um a very substantive response that he had in relation to this same general issue but the response on that show with the other media figures that were on this particular segment was just that well you got to look at the nfl uh players association union their leaders that's on them and 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 his response was and i have to agree when he's like nah the nfl a multi-billion dollar freaking business should do what's right because it's right the truth of the matter is when you think of labor negotiations the more powerful the union is the more legitimate the negotiation is because the players have a situation where the contracts are not guaranteed because there is a revolving door in terms of players coming in and out of the league because the nfl union representative for most teams is a veteran that's already vested and already got their pension and is not equally yoked and not aligned with 80 percent of the nfl that is one play and one day away from being out of the nfl the people that the teams and the players by way of the representative have speaking up for them and and are present in these negotiations aren't really representative of the nfl by the time you become a union rep your fifth sixth year in the league you're a captain on the team you don't even understand the world that I lived in being 53 and a half. I've called myself that I was 53 and a half, meaning at any day I could be out the league. The NFL rep and I are not on the same page. The so then, who, so then who's responsible? I don't know. Because, because in order for the, the negotiation to happen, you want the guy to be on the league. I do think that they need to bring in either former players that 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 never made it to a pension but can speak for a, a, a much larger majority of, of the people on the roster and their concerns and their fears and their realities than the veteran. Right, but Hamlet, that would be a representation of the, that would be the union making these decisions to be more holistically representative of the player base. Right. And I mean, ultimately look at the end of the day, it's just, I just think that it's, like to dumb it down, I think it's crazy talk to say, "Hey, multi-billion-dollar organization, do the quote-unquote right thing." Like, no, they're not the right they're thing. Not. The right thing is get that money. <laughs> like, get the money. Fair, <laughs> fair. But that's why I hope, and I'm happy that there was a CTE le- uh, 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 lawsuit, and I hope that when calmer heads prevail, because. The, the way you normally influence multi-billion dollar industries or corporations to do what's right is that you take full advantage of this litigious country that we live in. I hope they litigate the hell out of it because it never made sense that the player reps are veterans when the average NFL career is sitting at three or less than three years. That doesn't make sense. We're speaking different languages on the face of the, the conversation. Right. 
But even with that, I mean, even with that, right? Like, regardless, the the union does not really like the only reason anybody's getting guaranteed money is because they become a like an irreplaceable bigger than the union yeah. ingredient, right? Like, you know, whether it's a quarterback or you know whoever it is, the the guaranteed money comes from the elite of the elite. So like there's plenty of people that are representing the players in the union that didn't see guaranteed money and Man. may have had injuries and had all of these other things going on. And they're not even speaking on behalf of that. So I'm not even talking about down to the level of, I didn't get a pension. It's like, why wouldn't there be a conversation or a, some level of a, a stiff negotiation around guaranteed money, guaranteed healthcare, like whatever it is, there's no reason that there should be a conversation about, you have to get a pension. Anybody, if you get injured on the field, if you have a career ending injury, like all of these things, like you don't have to have, you don't have to have been in the league only one or two years to know that it's an issue. Like there's players that played in the league for 12, 13 years that might've never even seen any guaranteed money, not this generation, but 10 years ago. And didn't even see near the money that they're making now. I mean, minimum wage when I came out was 137,000. I don't know what minimum wage is now, but it's like seven or eight hundred thousand. I mean, it's 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 gotten to be exponentially greater than it was. So some people who were on this committee, they were old vets or whatever, thinking, man, you guys got it good enough. You know what I mean? That's what happened with my day. You know, we were making fifty thousand dollars in a pack of cigarettes to go play out a game. You know, so they, right. you know, they're going back there and do that. I don't know. When you talk about change, I think um, you know your original question B is, you know, is this going to be the, the thing? And I hate to say this, but I'm going to say no because he didn't die. <laughs> Had he died, had he died, which I'm glad he didn't die, I'd rather have us never make a change just to keep him alive. But had he died, then somebody would have had to do a, a knee-jerk change to do it. And I think that the the I mean at the end of the day, I think this just lets you know how fragile humans are in general and how things happen. I don't think this is a black eye on the game as far as someone got their heart stopped and it's so, you know, barbaric, or whatever. I think. I mean, how many basketball players have we had that died, you know, down the court just because they have heart issues or whatever? I don't think that the hit was was like, you know, it's not this isn't a, I think to a situation is a bigger black eye on the game than this situation, even if he had died. Only because I still think it's it would it's it's under the category of a fluke, right? I think to a situation is more inherent of the dangers of the game. And here's a guy who keeps it in the back of his head and knows that that's gonna knock him out, and he still can't protect himself right he still can't be in a situation where he's not doing it and we're going to see two on the football field again right because he's going to be until that hit he seemed 100 percent normal like he had healed up so i think that brain issue is going to still be a bigger issue um multi-billionaires i mean they don't get that way by doing the right thing all the time they do that way by doing the the financially correct thing all the time and you don't get to that level i'm not trying to condemn the rich but you don't get to that level by worrying about the little man and worrying about the labor, you get to that level by not worrying about those people and not worrying about the people that get you there, just worrying about the bottom line. And you know what? It is what it is. So I think that now that he's alive and hopefully well, hopefully healthy enough, well, I don't know if he should play again, but hopefully healthy enough to do that. You know, in a few weeks, we won't be talking about it. Unfortunately, that's the way America I, works. I agree with you. And that's how the labor movement started. It just seems as though that that there should be more balance. And, and it never has been. Um, the players vote the reps in. Uh, Scott Bibb, one of our listeners, we appreciate you for listening, man, um, regularly. But he asked, 
who votes the reps in, and it is the players, but it becomes a popularity contest. And, you know, again, it's not set up for real negotiations. And I and I and I hope and and DeMar Hamlin allowed all the virtue signalers to come out from behind the woodworks and and say all the right things. Prayers and thoughts and you know, let's go ahead and from our perch pass judgment on the NFL for even thinking about continuing the game. The virtue signalers did what they did. But I do hope that Lamar DeMar Hamlin allows the NFL, tongue twister, to get out of its own way and finally create a real situation where labor comes and negotiates on behalf of the workforce in a way that is thoughtful, meaningful, and protective. And it seems almost asinine that in 2023, that still doesn't include something as basic as guaranteed contracts, unless you're the creme de la creme de la creme. And that's me baffling. Yeah. I mean, it's the, I mean, that's, that's always going to be the the issue, right? Like it comes down to what, what the paying customer is willing to accept in terms of your business practice. 500 at minimum, 500 people died, literally died building stadiums for the world cup. Nobody didn't watch it. <laughs> Everything went forward. There's no labor movement. We're not thoughts and prayers. Like business does business and it's different because you didn't see it on TV. But at the end of the day, like it really comes down to at the end of the day, the people with, the money and with the power are going to maximize the opportunity from people that are willing to contribute. So the exploitation or however you want to consider it, if there's going to be people that are going to continue to line up and there's no checks and balances and the players, like at the end of the day, the game didn't get played. Like that was an exercise of power in that instance was we're not going to play this game. And the NFL conceded, not that they were pushing them to play the game. I don't know, but they empowered them to make the decision. Beyond that, on a grand scale, they don't have that power. Like that power is not built into the infrastructure of the NFL or any corporation for that matter. And so they took a collective stand and said, we're not prepared to play this game. And because of the situation, from an optics standpoint, nobody was begging for the, you know, the, the fans in the stadium were waiting, but they weren't outraged because the game right. didn't get played. And then yep. at the end of the day, if the players can't I come out and deliver the product, us. Well, that's the lesson then. Well, then that's the lesson because the same thing happened after the Donald Sterling situation when it was reported that the Clippers had agreed that they were not going to walk out on that court for a playoff game. Donald Sterling was immediately and summarily put into a room and told, you are ha- you are forced to sell this team. And the, the DeMar Hamlin lesson might be the players really saw in that moment how powerful they are. And I hope that 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 then leads to a more uh, forceful fight when the next labor negotiation happens, because it just seems crazy. And the virtue signalers, I I hear thoughts and prayers. But to be honest, and and you said the big flow show, I think it would have been even more meaningful had he lost his life. Thank God he didn't. But when the man was incapacitated, when it was uncertain, the same charitable event that he did for toys that had only raised twenty five hundred dollars went to i think upwards of four million dollars six six million last check six million? 
And the rappers always said, I'm worth more dead than alive. It says something about who we are, and they want to call the game an NFL, a bunch of savages and barbarian, but I think as a country, we are savage and barbarian. And when you think of it from a labor standpoint, we have there's nothing that makes sense about the fact that the riskiest sport that's the most dangerous is the one with the least protections. There's nothing that makes sense about that. Now, that particular hit, I agree with you, Big Flow Show, was a fluke because if a fastball Hits you in the chest while you're playing baseball, you die in that millisecond. Same exact scenario. If it hits you that level of impact in your, you die. And that's happened to a kid playing baseball. If a puck hits you, it was a fluke in terms of what happened. And I, this is sort of just yes or no, but do you think it'll lead to more of the headlines and the parents pulling their kids out of football because of all of the previous headlines that suggest that? This wasn't a fluke. It's because the game is dangerous that this man had a cardiac arrest. It, it, do you think that this will lead to more of a mass exodus from the game here in America? Because domestic violence, that's the game that is most domestic. Baseball has been commandeered by other countries. I'm sorry. Uh, that's the game that is still as domestic as anything. It's as American as, as American pie, as apple pie, the game of football. Does this lead to more of a mass exodus, people pulling their kids? I'll start with you on a big flow show. You and I have made that decision to put our kids in football. Yes or no? And 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 and, and you can give a quick why before we, we get on out of this. But what do you think? Is this more of a reason why people pull their kids out of football? Quick update. His, his charity is up to $7.8 million right now. $7.8 million. 233,000 people donated. $2,500. And the only thing that happened was was they got to see this man almost lose his life. Don't say it like that, but I know what you meant. <laughs> only I, I, that mean you know what I, I mean. I'm, I know I'm what saying you meant. It, yeah. it was huge. It was it was obviously yeah. man. But one one are. event made it go to seven point eight. So there, if he has a full recovery, what a what a great uh, situation. Yeah, okay, uh, my, so Ellis will be right back for those watching live. You see, my man ETP's not on, so I give you that. I'll, I'll throw it to you. Before we we move I, on, I switched up. Oh, playing the sport. So here's the thing: when this, when the my, I raised my my son exactly through this. So like when he was first first and second grade kindergarten through, through started, this meaning the CTE headline. The CTE thing. I'm sorry. Um, I was bringing in probably by the time he was in fourth grade, I was bringing in concussion specialists to talk to the to the parents for signs of concussions. Um, I would ask them not to bring the the, the players there, the kids there, because what kids would do when they were in a drill that they felt intimidated by. And, you know, I'm not trying to say those who are watching that don't have football friend, uh, football kids, or don't really understand the culture. You know, there's a, there's a part of football that you're teaching these kids how to face fears and how to, you know, man up and do different things. Now that sounds tough because it sounds like the same toxic, toxic masculinity um, that creates, you know, barbaric practices and practice. But you do have to sometimes have kids face their fears. That's part of what sports does. So I didn't want the kids to know about the concussion stuff because kids would be like, I got a headache in practice if, if they were you know nervous or they did a mistake. And then you had to pull them from practice. But I grew up through I raised my son through football through all this. And I realized there's a lot of a lot of stuff people don't want to take credit for. Like they had minimum play um, rules, which I think that was responsible for a lot of the concussions because minimum play rules for you don't know is. If your kid plays a football team, he has to play eight plays a game or 10 plays a game because coaches were not playing kids, right? 
And so everyone had this mindset of my son has the right to play football. And I always said, Hey, if your son, if your, if your coach doesn't want to put the son in for eight plays, yeah, a lot of it's because of winning and losing, but that's the kids not physically able to, to go and play. So then you put the kid out there, he gets smacked and he gets hit and he ends up getting a concussion. Nobody's coming back to say, well, you know, thanks for the plays coach. Right. So yeah. I think now that you're seeing people slowly move away from some of those cultural things that happen. Yes. A lot of good athletes are not playing and they're, they're playing soccer now and they're doing different sports or they, you know, oh, a lot of kids, soccer, you might've went too far. That ain't like a damn lot of kids, you know, Ivory Covington's one of our teammates. His son is a real accomplished soccer player. He didn't let him play yeah. football. Rob Farmer's a, Another one of our our teammates who played for the Jets, um, he doesn't let his kids play football. Or he says he doesn't pre- prevent them, but he doesn't encourage it. And you keep finding Derek Mays, another one, his son plays basketball. There's a lot of kids that you go through. Um, people just say, I don't want my son to play football. And you know what? That's going to happen. But like you mentioned before, um, with Rich and people, um, I don't know if it's you or ETP that said that, you know, they're going to find people willing to 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 play for that. You know, at the end of the day, there's scholarships at the end of the tunnel, free college and education, <clears throat> a lot of fame. And now, even at the college level, um, somewhat of a fortune, right, that people can get. I apologize for the airplane going by. Actually, it's fighter jets. I wish I could show it to you. I'm by a, a military base. Two fighter jets went by to make sure they protect how, me. How dare a fighter jet does not go by our show in this episode? Well, of the I mean, Island. in fairness, they're trying to protect me. They want to make sure I got ops out here. So they want to make sure that... uh Nothing happens, but we're good, man. We're straight. We All planned right, so. it that way. Domestic violence episode, we have fighter jets yeah, going on. We got a flyover, yeah. So at the end of the day, there might be a little bit of low. You know, the numbers are definitely down from the all-time high for youth football in our area. Um, and I think there'll be a low, but I think it'll build back up because in this country, we forget, right? We yeah. forget about things that happen like that. And there's still, still the most exciting game on the planet. It still has the most glitz and glamour. You know, of all the of all the sports, it has the least amount of games because of how much goes into it and and how much recovery people have to get. So I think we'll go back to it. I think I, I think this will be one of those things that gives us a hiccup again because he didn't die and because it's not happening very often. We're going to have to say, remember that guy from the Bills in about about a month. People are going to be saying that the question I'll throw back to you is, you know, he's going to be on a speaking tour once he's healthy, right? And someone's going to finally ask him, do you think they should have canceled the game? What do you think he's going to say? I think that the NFL being the end of this psychological process, because you talked about it like you were in the early stages of this psychological process where you bring in the concussion specialist and you don't want the kids to hear it because you understand that there's an inherent risk in the game that kids got to face their fears. By the time you get to the NFL, man, you're at the last stage of it. So psychologically, you're so um, trained to think of the team, the wins and the losses. The risk is, is going to be what it's going to be. That I would imagine he's, he would say no. like They didn't have to cancel the game. And let's be completely honest with you. In order to survive out there, between them, 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 them yard markers, and between them hashes, and and definitely in them damn trenches, you gotta feel invincible. You have to. You know, you you, you brought up another point earlier about the players having power and doing that thing. In the moment, 
you have power. I think about the University of Missouri when they were mad about the uh, the provost. I think it was that um, didn't react well to a racist, racist statement, yep. and they said they weren't going to play. They fired the provost. They played the game, and then they fired that coach who supported them. Not right away, but they fired that coach. Um, Colin Kaepernick took a knee. The NFL eventually kind of made some rules that pseudo looked like they caved or supported. Colin Kaepernick never played again. So don't be surprised if the NFL, in, when no one's watching, figures out who's the one saying we're not going to play, and those dudes end up getting shafted. Because at the end of the day, they're going to succumb to the to, to the public pressure, but they're not right. going to forget. And they're going to go to those people and say, hey, man, then I ain't going to say it. It's just one of these days, the guy who decided not to play is just going to be cut unexplicably, and he's not going to be able to find the team. My man, um, Patrick Thomas, uh, I appreciate you uh, listening. And 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 he uh, said in the comments uh, and, and said so accurately that that same Monday, decided to get with my old coaches from the EO Junior Jags. Once a Jag, always a Jag. Uh, I moved on physically, but never uh, spiritually and emotionally. They're my peoples. So we had a, a, a cigar and we were talking about a program, the new program that I took my kids to, that we had to buy our own helmets. And I said, initially, like, I was bothered by that until I started looking at the helmets and understanding the different levels of safety and seeing what the scores were in the helmets. And and I was like, oh, I'll gladly, I'm buying this one for both my boys. Now, I had the financial means to do it. God has blessed me to have those resources, and it was cool. But it was also when I was talking to Coach Patrick, and he bought his son the helmet of choice as well, a, a different helmet, but the helmet that his son wanted that was very safe um, on this rating system. But it was just kind of, we both were like, but what about all the kids that, that don't have anybody to buy a helmet? That if that is a requirement that I have to buy the helmet, I'm going to a different program. They're just going to give me a helmet. And did that program get, you know, like there's, you got to get them um, condition, reconditioned and certified. Yeah. Certified the cost of all that. Not every program is doing that at the same rate, such that safety is universal. And it's sad. And so at the, the highest level, we talked about, the power of money, but even at the introductory levels, it's just it, money and safety have a correlation. And it's just interesting, man. So uh, we spent way more time on this than we had planned, but let, let's, let, it, it, let's hop into another topic, man, because it is domestic violence episode. And this week we got to see domestic violence played out uh, on a show that we all love. Our uncle, our uncle was involved in domestic violence. Uncle Shay Shay, Shannon Sharp, and his partner on Undisputed, Skip Bayless. It looks like now the first time they went at it and had their little love of quarrel, I thought, all right, no big deal. But now the second time, and oddly enough, it does connect to DeMar Hamlin because it started on the heels of Uncle Shay Shay, Shannon Sharp, not being in the studio one day, and people speculated that he didn't want to be on the scene. 
with Skip Bayless because Skip Bayless had just sent out what we could call at a minimum um, a tweet in bad taste, untimely, when he was talking about the business end of the NFL decision. And, and, and we didn't know whether or not DeMar Hamlin was going to be a, a, a happy ending. And so people said it was distasteful. In the middle of Uncle Shannon's, Uncle Shay Shay's monologue, Skip Bayless interrupts him. And, and you could tell that the wheels are starting to come off. Is this much to do about nothing? And, and it is another media. We normally don't talk about media because that's what we, we're, we're media. As, as a podcast producer and, and curator, we are media. But how dare we not at least contemplate this in this episode of Domestic Violence do you think that Undisputed can get back on track and it be the show that has been a very provocative sports commentary? I'll start with you on this, ETP. Uh, or does, is this the beginning of the end as we watch that relationship seem to continue to struggle? I, th- I mean, I think it really just depends on how they can hash it out. I don't know. I, I think it was just – it was definitely out of line the way that he – didn't allow Shannon Sharp to continue his point, but I don't, I mean, I don't really have a, a strong opinion one way or the other. It's, it's all for ratings. Right. So if, I mean, if Shannon Sharp feels like his, he's being professionally disrespected and, you know, his voice is not being given the platform that it deserves, then yeah, he might walk, but it's, there's a, you know, Skip Bayless has been getting paid to do what he's doing now for decades so it's no surprise and you know you do a show every day you know every day of the week five days a week for x amount of time there's always going to be this you know this point the whole point of the show is to argue so you know at the end of the day that's what they do but i don't know if shannon i mean shannon sharp is a is a great personality he could do things on his own he could stay in the show i don't i don't have a strong opinion one way or the other about it um i just think that you know the the criticism. Clearly, Skip Bayless is was affected by the criticism that he got about the tweet. Which, ironically, <laughs> everything that he said in that moment, albeit ill-timed, is everything that everybody's saying now, right? Like whatever just happened, that incident could have ended a lot of people's careers that we'll never even know that it ended their careers. Just of how it affected them because they don't want to go back out on the field anymore, or the game doesn't matter as much because my life really is on the line, right? But like we're talking about playoff scenarios now, right? So it's it's just ironic that that you know everybody is up in arms because it was too soon for him to say what he said. But now it's fine, right? Just I mean, granted, you know, luckily the the person at, uh, at under discussion is is breathing on his own. They just reported, um, so all that to say, it's fine. But this is what they do. They argue. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I almost interrupted your monologue. Ski up, ski up. <laughs> um, but it, it, they, they, they do do that. But I think that normally they do it in a, um, com- a respectfully combative way. And I'll just address this real quick before I, I pose the same question to you, Big Flow Show, and then we can move on. Because uh, Patrick uh, Roach says, uh, and we appreciate, again, please, we everyone within the sound of our voice, please like, comment, share, tag a friend, tag a foe, and, and subscribe. Um, but Patrick Roach says he doesn't, he's not sure he's agree. He thinks that DeMar Hamlin might be okay with him being canceled because of his traumatized teammates. And we talked about that earlier 
being really the central tenet behind why the game didn't go on. Let me just say this, and I think it needs to be said. There's a brotherhood in football that doesn't necessarily – it's not as deep and meaningful at the NFL level. Now, I, I I got a cup of coffee in the NFL. I was in and out two years, right? I played one, practice squad another, and, and then they were trying to send me an NFL year. But I'm just going to go out here and say it, man, like, on every team, you got a few meaningful relationships. Other than that, man, these are people going to work. A lot of times, you don't even know someone's wife or significant other. You don't know their kids like that. You got a few meaningful relationships in every locker room. And other than that, these are people going to work. Now, there's a more universal general brotherhood that we think of the game and the safety of it, but I, I, I these people are going to work. That's what they're doing. Uh, Big Flow Show. I, 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 you know, I'll throw it to you on the on the last question in terms of Skip and 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 Shannon. Uh, quickly, real quick. Ian yeah, Rappaport just reported that uh, uh, Demar Hamlin has been FaceTiming his teammates all day, and he's going to FaceTime the team today. So, all indications is you know, from a life standpoint, he's gonna he's gonna make it, and everything's gonna kind of get back to normal. So. Happy to celebrate that as well. Absolutely. Um, as far as the Skip Bayless thing and Shannon Sharp, Shannon, I don't want to say I dislike Shannon because I like a lot about him, but there's a lot of questionable things he does, you know, and I think that they play they play into too many stereotypes. He, he helps them play into too many stereotypes on the show. I said that, move past it. I think the Skip Bayless thing, Skip is the jerk that everyone, everyone, you know, loves to hate Skip. I think there's a lot of people that like, you know, Skip Bayless' existence lets you realize how many uh, – Excuse my French, dickheads. There are in in society that just want. That was German. That was German. That was, German. That was English. But uh, at the end of the day, this it just shows you the fact that he can exist because he just says things that that bother people, and he's, he he represents that person. That he represents the hater in society. And let's face it, there's plenty of haters out there. So those that really like Skip, mostly probably don't even say it out loud, but they like it because they're haters, and that's what he is. Um, he tries to say things too provocatively. I mean, if the, the fact that you're even tweeting out there and you're trying to make statements and comments at this time to try to benefit and get likes and go viral at this time, really, everyone should uh, should be generic. Thoughts and prayers. That's that's the only thing there's time for. Thoughts and prayers, prayers up. That's all they talk about. But for him to say, how can they cancel this? You know, it's so important, whatever. But suddenly it doesn't make sense. So he puts little disclaimers in there so he can go and say, no, I said this at the end, remember? But really, the, the meat of what you said was in the beginning, right? The meat of what you said, the provocative what you said was in the beginning. There's other people I've seen that tweeted out saying, you know, I, I got a parlay to win or I got this to win. What are you doing? Get back out there. I mean, we talked about this before uh, going back out to play. You know, I, I was on the field. Someone you know, dislocated a kneecap. I couldn't believe they made us go back to practice. I was so shook, not just because of emotionally the guys hurt, but I'm my knees started ringing. You know what I mean? You start Everyone feeling, sees theirself in that moment. Yeah, you, you start feeling yourself. unsafe out there and stuff. You tippy-toeing around the pile. So we've kind of pushed things past. Um, I sense, based off of the, the dirty laundry that they aired, that they had a meeting, and Shannon Sharp was told, all right, don't talk about this, don't talk about this, don't talk about that, because they didn't want – they want to show, they wanted him to show support for Skip, which he wasn't going to do. 
They wanted him to go through this. They re released it saying that he didn't skip the show because of Skip Bayless. He skipped the show because it reminded him of when his brother got hurt because they don't want to show any of that dissension. They they don't – we need you to go there and support Skip because we're not getting rid of him. So I, I suggest if this thing is over, I think eventually they're going to get rid of Shannon. They're not going to get rid of Skip. They're going to find another Shannon Sharp, and somebody's going to be willing to go be the Shannon Sharp, the next guy to do whatever. So you know what? You got to make your money somehow. You got to do what you got to do. It's not for me to criticize, but hey. – you know, let me get out there early and just say this, man. Y'all don't call me trying to be the next damn um, Shannon Sharp. I'm not doing it. I say no. I did. I'm. I'm. My my agent has told me we're not doing it. But if my man Shannon Sharp wanted to come on here, baby, come on, Shannon, come join the Ball Hawk Sports Talk. He could bring his black and mild and his cognac and all the other stereotypes, and uh, you and Big Flo can go at it. Y'all can arm wrestle. Uh, although he do still like he in shape, leave Shannon alone. Um, let's hop into another dispute that seems to be ongoing. And this episode of domestic violence, in 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 I don't remember which podcast it was. I should know that. Sorry. But in, in podcast space, my man Zeke, Isaiah Thomas, decided to go ahead and take yet another jab at Michael Jordan. He talked about how his nephew lived with him, how he made the streets on the west side of Chicago safe for Michael Jordan to walk around, how when the Jordan rules existed, it wasn't like he was the one doing it. And he kind of went on and on. And and, and I, I responded the way I do because just like my man Big Flo Show is a LeBron sycophant, a disciple of LeBron, I'm a Michael Jordan disciple. So I defended MJ, and I'm like, you know, and I'm sick of Z. But I've been told that maybe I, I'm wrong. So I'm going to start with our Chicago Evanston native to speak on this. Is Isaiah Zeke Thomas once and for all a hater, or does he have a point? First things first. Say with your head, not your heart. What you got? I'm going to say it with my chest. The first thing, the first things first, for those people who don't understand that the nuances, when somebody tells you, I allowed you to walk on the street safely, you don't understand what they're really, I mean, that is such a statement. Lately said, they would have had you run your pockets, took your gym shoes, mugged you, but because I blessed you, you were, that's such a huge statement to say to somebody, you only yeah. say it because of me. I'm the one that made it cool for you to go to the United <laughs> Center all the time. That was me. Chicago Stadium back in the day. That's you. That, you almost take offense to that. You as a man, you had to be like, "What you trying to? <laughs> what you trying to say, bro, bro? That's huge man, that's such a huge statement. But a lot of y'all gonna miss that. That's a huge statement he made. But I'm gonna say this: I never liked Zeke. You know, he played for Detroit. The fact he was from Chicago didn't mean as much to me because he played for Detroit in the playoff games. We always lost because he, him, or Dumars. Either he threw it to Dumars on an open shot he hit, or he would come down and beat us. And I hated him for that. And I say this because when we talked about this before, you accused me of being a homer. And I'm saying, all that being said, I cannot blame him. He's getting – this is a guy, Hall of Fame guy, that should have been on Dream Team and got left off. He should have done this. One of the best players you're going to say, one of the starters in the uh, in the conversation of Hall of Fame, he's going to be a starter, right? I mean, this is Zeke. And Jordan has got him – I don't know for the rap fans out there. Jordan is 50 Cent and he's Ja Rule. Overnight, this dude just took his check, and and every he's the brunt of the jokes. They have videos of watching him talk to Magic and then them kicking when he walks away. I mean, he's humiliated this man for years, 
And here's a man who's a Hall of Fame guy. He's got to defend himself. I can't be mad at him for trying to tell you another side of the story. He's been quiet for far too long. He's been sitting here not just taking the abuse and just being shunned by everybody because Michael says so. I don't I don't blame him for shedding light on that, man. What are you going to just keep letting somebody swing on you? I don't know. I, I, I can't be mad at Zeke for that, even though I'm more of a Jordan fan for sure. Man got to stand up for himself. If you, if you can't stand up for yourself, who's going to stand up for you? ETP, it, it, is the Big Flow show right? Is this sort of like a battered wife syndrome that he had to outgrow and let everybody know, yo, I run these streets of Chicago. I'm the one who let MJ walk down the street. I mean, Zeke came full 50 cent when he said it. He was coming real hard cold. And I just don't know Zeke to, to be that. I mean, Zeke had the utmost amount of job security, despite the fact he couldn't coach. He kept a job. So I know Zeke to be this mild-mannered, deking-looking brother. So to hear him say, I made it such that MJ could walk the streets was a little bit kind of, I don't know, it's disingenuous to me, but maybe I'm wrong. ETP, Big Flow Show's making me reconsider. What do you think in this domestic violence episode of Zeke versus MJ, the one that seemed to have started in the 92, uh, even before that, it started with the bad boys. And then I think was at its climax when, if reported correctly, MJ had some say-so as to why Zeke was home and somebody like Christian Leitner was playing with the dream team. It, it, am, I, am I off base here? Is Zeke just standing up for himself, rightfully so? I mean, I would say so. Let's rewind time to like almost three years ago when we were all sequestered to our homes and all we could do was bake bread and watch television because there was a global pandemic that shut everything down and ESPN decided that they were going to move up the release date of this six-part series of the empire of michael jordan and pay homage that's to not the what God, it was called, it was called the empire. to black pay homage to black jesus <laughs> <laughs> and and in that in in that doc the only reason we're talking about any of this is specifically because of the last dance which was michael jordan's opportunity to one remind everybody of his greatness after lebron wins another championship and be like don't forget about me and then at the same time, starts dragging people under the bus. Jerry Krause, who's dead and gone, just making a mockery of him. Isaiah Thomas, like everybody, Gary Payton, he had something to say. Like we, it is, if if Michael Jordan played in today's game, everybody would say, Michael Jordan is the biggest asshole you ever met. But the way the media supported and protected his image back in the 80s and 90s, allows him to have this pristine image and everybody thinks that you know he can do no wrong but the reality is the only reason that we're even talking about this like scotty pippen's bitter like everybody's upset about the fact that like michael jordan is controlling the narrative and the reality is like it's a known even if even with all of the protection that he's had from the media it's still a known fact michael jordan's an asshole period (laughs) Well, I, that is not the period. You got to say Michael Jordan's an asshole. That's the first and, part of the sentence. And then you got to say, and sometimes it takes being an asshole to be that great. You got to be like, that's what it is, you know? And look, I'll go ahead and, and, and pivot 
and I'll go to because I think my man who said it. Yeah, my man Shelton Jordan, Cheeky Black said it. I'll pivot and redirect right to your man's in them. Big flow show. If LeBron had some more asshole in him, he'd have more rings on his finger. So, yes, Michael Jordan is an asshole. But I still think Zeke's a hater. When it comes to this, it's like, yo, I don't How can hear it go you. both ways? Yeah, with no correlation. But come on, you made the streets safe for Michael Jordan. I mean, listen, I, this, this, I, I can't imagine. Look, I don't know. I mean, Isaiah presents himself as this, like, mild-mannered, but, like, now he's tough the, also the stories behind the scenes in terms of, like, what he was doing with the – like, who knows who he is as a person. And when you show up as an NBA player, like, Isaiah was the dude coming out of Chicago at that time. Like, he was – I mean, bad boys. Like, Isaiah was Chicago at the time that Jordan came in early days so it wasn't like jordan had a statue outside the united center in 85 you know what i mean so it's Fair. not to say that there isn't a possibility that isaiah at least you know ushered him into the basketball community I, of chicago given he that said, he was like the mayor of the basketball the city of he, chicago hey, he like everybody he's hey, talking about he's them good, he's good. He's good. i just want to be in i wish i was a fly on the wall in that conversation, because for Zeke to come across as he came across as like Goldie, we Ron O'Neill or somebody. I just want to be a fly on the wall when Zeke in his mild manner is like, Yes, you 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 guys back back off MJ, or I'm gonna come get into some gangster shit. Come on, man. There's nothing gangster on, about Zeke. Come on, man. You're right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like there was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. There was no party lines. There was no group text. So this dude, who did he? I want to know, Zeke, I, I need receipts. Who's the five people you called to give him the pass? I need receipts. <laughs> Somebody got to show me. Who did you exactly call? And how was it phrased exactly? Hey, that was Zeke, boy. Don't make me come backhand somebody. You, you guys got to. <laughs> hey. Let's keep on going, man. Zeke, I'm with it, man. Zeke is that meme, you know, like the little the little pussycat that looks in the mirror and sees a roaring lion. Zeke sees himself as that dude. Zeke made the streets safe for a global icon to walk. Goddamn, Zeke, you a bad mofo. Uh, let's hop into some other stuff. In this episode of Domestic Violence, man, because Isaiah did talk about the Jordan rules. And he talked about the defense and all that good stuff. And, and the Jordan rules that he put out there were to protect Michael Jordan and led to him on going on the scoring frenzy. And it seems as though some of them Jordan rules must still exist. And you you got to admit that they do in terms of hand checking. The NBA realized that it could be an international product if they scored more points. And I ain't saying nothing, but I'm going to say it. Soccer, take note. Um but by getting more points, soccer's not global enough. <laughs> it ain't global enough because it ain't reached the market to the world because of me. You think Messi said that to uh to, to my man? I, I let you safe in these streets. I made you safe in these streets, Ronaldo. Hey, but I'm gonna tell you like this, right? It could be even more global. It could be globaler and make it to the states if they scored more points. Because that's what the NBA did. And look at what's happened over the last 10 days. I want to make sure I get this right. There have been 27, 27 different times, not different people, 
but 27 examples of 40 plus point games in the NBA in the last 10 games. First time ever in NBA history. Donovan Mitchell scored 71 on the heels of Lucas scoring 61 against the Knicks the week before. Donovan Mitchell is a lot of things, but I never thought Donovan Mitchell would be a 71-point score. And so uh, I like this NBA. A lot of people have said that it turns them off because they like the defensive NBA. And they've done something right in terms of, of, of size and, and growth in terms of a business. The NBA is doing something very right. Um, do you think that a more offensive dominant game is ultimately going to be better for the NBA? Because there have been purists that have turned the TV off and said that they want to see defense. They like the days when Jordan and they had, they had no 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 layup rule. Don't come Tell down to watch soccer. Say it one more time. Tell those people to go watch soccer. <laughs> they want to watch defense. Zero, they want to watch PKs. Head. They yeah. want to watch PKs. Uh, but they're not just serious. Yes or no in the sense that, like, does the NBA have it right? Because the scoring is a byproduct of, you know, and, and Zeke put it on, 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 on blast. The NBA set it up so Michael Jordan could be an icon and score a lot of points. And now you've got these international players, Luka being one of them, the Greek freak, and, you know, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell, I'm sure he's Haitian, right, Big Flo? So he's got to be something. His mom um, is Haitian, but we're talking about <laughs> Scores 71 points. Does the NBA have it right? I'll start with, this, this, with you on this one, ETP. We think of building businesses and and how you market it. In a way, this is a, a, a sort of covert marketing that they are getting these players in a position to score these type of points. Do they have it right in terms of business building? You know what's crazy is you would think that a lot of the rules, they rule changes they made for defense, you know, the way that they're reg, you know, regulating with fragrant fouls and no handshaking and all of that was for the intention to preserve the health of the players. But it's almost like it's increased the speed of the game so much that the wear and tear on the body, on top of the fact that these kids are specializing in, in basketball at six years old and only playing playing basketball year round and their you know muscles and so you have the the miles that are being put on his bodies but i just think the irony of it is the intention is the player safety but then we're seeing all of these stars have major you know season altering or season ending injuries right. while the game is a lot less physical than it was in the past so it's just it's interesting that that was the intent or that's the intention obviously it's really just to increase the offensive you know, action of the game, but the speed of the game has actually like, there's no offensive. There's very limited offensive sets. It's not half court basketball. It's very much transition ball. And you're just getting a lot of injuries, a lot of load management and a lot of high scores. But a lot of these players aren't playing 82 games like Jordan, like talking about Jordan, the fact he went on a tear of like, a, you know, a three seasons where he played every single game. Anyone right. defensive player of the year, anyone, you know, multiple NBA championships, like all of this happened and he didn't miss a game. Like there's pretty much no NBA starter or NBA all-star that will play an NBA season from now to eternity that will play 82 games or however many games they end up having uh, down the road. So that's right. the that's the thing that's really crazy to me is they open it up, but it's actually like seeming like it's putting more miles on on the players and a lot more non-contact injuries are happening 
that, that unintended consequence. And you make a good point there, man. Like the the stated reason for the rule change was the um, player safety protocols, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but from a business standpoint, we know that led to the increased uh, attractiveness of the game internationally. Uh, but you make a great point, man, is that the, the unintended consequences has led to what I would consider um, – yeah, injury risks. So, uh, big flow show. I'll say I'll, I'll ask you the question as well, man. Did they get it right? Because you've heard several of the purists. You know those people that wear like Boston Celtics hats. Those would be the ones like I don't even watch regular season. I ain't gonna turn it on to the playoffs. And what they're basically saying is they don't want to watch defenseless basketball. They want to watch defense. So, does the NBA have it right? Because, yeah, go ahead. They absolutely have it right when you look at it. The NBA's charter is to make money. The NBA's charter is to make this a very popular sport. Nobody makes money off purists, right? You make money off of the casual being at least interesting to the casual person. So the, the purists, there's not enough NBA purists out there. If you try to do that and you try to appeal to them, you're going to make a game that people aren't going to watch. In this country and a lot of countries, people want to see scoring. So they got to right. get it right. If you look at music uh, musicians, you know, rappers, when we grew up, unless you had on pop radio, your song rap, you weren't going to make it. You can't just do it for the rap purists if you want to make a lot of money. So the NBA knows <clears throat> people can appreciate a 71-point game, and they want to see a 71-point game, even if they don't know anything about basketball. They'd like to see what that is. Even the purists got to see what this is, this Donovan Mitchell guy is about. If everyone's scoring 22 points, 25 points, that's just that's not drawing new people into this. So it's great for basketball that they had all these 40 point games and it's not a mistake. It's not an accident because now all these different people say my 40 point player is better than your 40 point player. Let's go see when they're going to play. Let's sell this arena out. 85% of people in that arena are not going to be purists. They're going to be first time, second time people, corporate events, different things like that. And they need to see something spectacular and spectacular is points. They got it right. Fair. Uh, in this episode of Domestic Violence, um, I, I, I will have to say this because we got to get the, the first round of NBA All-Star selection came out and the fans voting showed that uh, there are certain players. There are certain players that still have the fans attention. And when you look at who those players are. Um, ETP, if you don't mind, we'll get ready to pull that up, but some of those those same players. Right, are the ones that are scoring the points. You look at the front court, Western Conference front court, you got LeBron James as the top vote getter. And we're not all the way done. You still got more iterations of fans uh, voting, but this gives you an indication, if you would, this is like uh, Karnacki when we're looking at midterm elections. This gives you good indications of who's going to be there. Uh, LeBron James, the Joker, now, the Anthony Davis thing blew my mind until I looked at his stats. When he plays, he balls out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know if we have an asterisk that big, dog. Like, when but he plays. <laughs> this, forced me, this forced me to look at the uh, – and, and, and that was a good question. Big Flo shows asked how many games he played. And Patrick Roach, one of the, our listeners, again, we thank you guys and we ask you again, humbly, please like, comment, share, tag a friend, tag a foe, and please subscribe. But Patrick Roach asked, um, the All-Stars today, if we could compare the log the same number of minutes per game as during the MJ's errors. 
Yeah. Uh, that would be a good, a good stat. We should look well, at one. That. I mean, what? So one one response to that and that that question prompted me to look it up. So if we're talking about so we consider the most durable NBA player currently to be LeBron James. Obviously, Jordan was a beast. 38.3 minutes per game for Jordan and 38.1 minutes per game for LeBron. Difference being LeBron definitely doesn't play entire, you know, the entire season. But I was expecting there to be more of a disparity. Obviously, we could look at it by uh look you know how much longer he's played than Jordan. Look how much longer he's played for sure. But I'm saying we could look at it across the league. I was just kind of using those two as a comparison because everybody likes to make those comparisons. But um you know, I think the thing is teams are also deep, much deeper now, right? Like we're talking about the all-star game. You could have four all-star teams and not not be disappointed with the quality of your caliber of athlete. Where back in, you know, when Jordan was playing, you know, being the 12th, you know, 11th, 12th man on a on an all-star team, like you weren't, you're, you're not going to the Hall of Fame. Like you, you didn't necessarily have the greatest season it's just that you kind of slid in in terms of statistics and things like that so the parity of talent i think is also distributing the minutes throughout the league now because ah. there's i mean there's stars on every team i agree i agree to a certain degree um because what we value more now is scoring but the 11 and 12th man during that era was normally someone that brought something different to the table that could defend the front court, back court. Like we used to value yeah. that. Now we don't value that. Yeah, but I, I guess what I'm saying is like we could talk about when this is all said and done, we're gonna talk about five, six, seven, eight snubs. Back then it was like, oh, that's cool. He made the all-star team. I can't think of anybody else that should be on that list. Fair, very fair. Very fair. So let's look at this. We got the uh, uh, both the Western Conference and Eastern Conference front court. Kevin Durant, the top vote getter, he'll probably be the top vote getter in the East, and LeBron will probably be the top vote getter in the West. Which will mean those will be the two captains in this new format where they pick their teams. Um, is there anybody on there or not on there that surprises you in the front court? I I saw Kawhi Leonard, and I was shocked. I I. We're looking at minutes per game. I think that that's harder to compare errors. I think we should also be looking at total number of games played per season. Right. Because my superstar is going to play minutes per game. The games that he does play, I'm going to get him upwards of 30 minutes. The question right. then becomes how many games per season are there superstars playing this era versus that era? And we – we're gonna work around. We're gonna get that for you, Patrick Roach. We promise. Come back. We're gonna have some. Are you up. are you counting the hundred and sixty four games that Jordan didn't play? <laughs> I would count. I, I I mean, he got a big rest. He said he had a real long halftime. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, are we? What are we talking about? <laughs> we'll figure matter. out how to do it. It wasn't like he was sitting around twiddling his thumbs, gentlemen. He was playing, he was playing baseball. baseball. He was. Man. Come on, man. Exactly. Say it again. He's playing baseball. A game <laughs> that you can play two games at the professional level in the same day. Not that tough. Look, man. Look, I'm gonna just let you know. You never give me another sport. That's that's a pretty rock solid. That's a rock solid. That's a rock solid solid (laughs) argument that is limited and not. They don't even run trading all heats in one day when you all the sacrifice going into playing in the minor league. When you give me money, I'm not gonna be on the city bus no more. So the man made sacrifices too. But he bought the team a bus. He bought them a bus. I digress. Bus was sexy. 
You went from a private jet to a bus. It's a bus. By choice. Uh, Man, let's get back to this topic. You ain't getting me into this today. Uh, What do we think? I'm just saying 164 games. Hey. (laughs) Who's who's missing from here that we think? Um, We got it all good. Because I was shocked to see Kevin Looney. And it shows you that the I was just saying when we got to Looney, we're like, man, we're at Looney now. But it's the front court. What do you even consider front court? Um, it's positionless. Andrew Wiggins is not a surprise, as we've shown here on the Ball Hawk Sports Talk. He's a dog. Anybody else? I didn't think so. Let's go. I didn't I, I honestly when I looked at this, because you got Nick Cla- Nick Claxton on the East Coast front court. Yeah, like when you start getting to those numbers or those names. I would put Jared Allen, people that probably should be on there. Let's look at the backcourt. Yeah. Back I mean, court, one thing I will say about the front court is I'm happy to see a rookie get some level of, you know, with pa- Paolo Bencaro getting some love in there. Given that there's so much talent, I think it's impressive that you see a rookie getting some votes. And he's been balling. Let's let's go ahead and also acknowledge, it. you know, I messed around with his name and where he's from and, you know, he team light-skinned, that nice curly head, but he's been out there balling. Yeah, Bobby that's – Shelton Jordan makes a good point. Brandon Ingram, I don't think he was on that list. That's uh, that's a good call. I mean, I know he hasn't played much, but he should definitely be there over Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> but his connection to Anthony Davis is eerie because he ain't played a lot of games either. Yeah. Um, Let's go to the front court. I'm excuse me, the back court. And the backcourt, this is where it gets interesting. Because John Morant being three was a little – he don't even have a million votes. What are people yeah. watching? I love Small Steph market. Curry. I understand that one. I love Luka. But yeah. John Morant – Small market, not international. I know, but a third essentially of the votes that Luka – What did I tell you before, though? That the purest versus the, the common. Although his dunk should be for everybody, but, like – I don't know. I just that's just it just kind of shows you. Uh, but hey, you got a Lamelo, so you should be. Oh no, you know Lamelo was gonna be doing it. I told y'all Lamelo was gonna be Lamelo, man. Y'all ain't believe me, awesome. Lamelo. You know it's funny. Your statement earlier, you said uh, ETP about once you get beyond the list, you know there is nobody. But I'm like, man, everybody's here because we are starting to get some people out here. You're like, eh, I'm surprised Devin Booker's low as low as he is and Damon Lillard. Yeah. A little suspect. Yeah. I mean, I don't, Derek Rose being on there. I'm glad to see it. I don't know if it's, he's uh, yeah, yeah, he's still in there. Uh, just true. Over Darius Garland. <laughs> it just makes you scratch your head with some of these names. And then you start looking at the back end of it and you, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's not many left. There's not many left. Not many I mean, left. One, one thing that is, like, outside of basketball, like, this is all a popularity contest, like the NFL so, Players Union. But, like, Kyrie Irving getting 400,000, almost 400,000 more votes than the next guard, it just shows – it's very interesting how forgiving the general public is as long as you're balling. Facts. <laughs> But he's clown over that 12. They finally lost. They won 12 straight. They finally lost uh, last night or two nights ago. But if you look at his numbers over that time frame, he is absolutely balling. 
Uh, my man Cheeky Black says Westbrook is too high on that list. But, I, I mean, Westbrook beat us. I'm a Miami Heat fan by himself. No LeBron, no AD. It was Russell Westbrook in the pips. And he clowned. He clowned. I mean, he still, you know, the funny part is, 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 is my boys in my group chat. Uh, we always go back and forth, the suburban group chat, all these brothers. And they tried to clown me, but I'm like, yeah, it was without LeBron. It was without AD, but it was still versus a first ballot Hall of Famer. Miami ain't got no first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't think Jimmy Butler's a first ballot. First ballot? No, but based on your criteria, Tyrese Halliburton is a superstar. I mean, Tyrese Halliburton is a beast. A beast. I'm not saying he's a superstar, but a beast, I mean, but... the thing with Russell Westbrook that's crazy is, and I didn't know this, but I mean, so he's basically in the running right now, probably for our six man of the year, right? Yes. And so Russell Westbrook okay. and being able to win MVP and six man of the year is crazy. And I didn't think anybody had really done it. But right, MVP and six man of the year. But right, in reverse order, where Harden, Bill Walton Harden did it. Bill Walton did it. And there's one other player that did it. I'll Harden. give you guys one quick guess. Carmelo. James Harden. James Harden. James Harden. I didn't yeah. know that. Well, yeah, I knew oh, he, was he did it in reverse year. order too. No, he was six man. No, of the no, year. they did it the appropriate, you know, get the six yeah. man and then be MVP. Um, I think actually I think Bill Walton was in reverse because he got in, he was injured a lot. Um yeah. But, yeah. but Westbrook is just because that's how he's fit into the system, I guess, finally. Well, it, it's interesting to see the uh, the NBA All-Stars. We'll see. This is just the first round, so you still got time to to make your your, your voice be heard. Um, should be a good All-Star game, man. Uh, where's All-Star this week, th- this year? I don't even know. Uh, it's funny. I, ain't, I haven't seen ads about it yet. And we are in January, so we're getting close. We got to figure out what All-Star is. Maybe we'll just, you know what I mean, record on site an All-Star game. Um, that's NBA All-Star news, first voting. We'll see. In domestic violence, everybody feels as though every year that there's someone that got shined. And there will be somebody that, unfortunately, uh, didn't make this list. And that's just the nature of the game, man. But uh, there are a bunch of, and they are the purest. Who, people who will not be watching until after at least All-Star because of the defense. And that's always interesting to me. Um, but it also connects us to what we got to at least discuss quickly is the college football playoffs. Because that, too, you look at the, the, the bowls, it looks like even in college football, people ain't playing defense no more. But the first game, TCU at Michigan, um, TCU – this was the Fiesta Bowl. TCU was the overwhelming underdog. The overwhelming underdog. And yet, somehow, someway, they handily beat Michigan. The final score showed a good game, but TCU looked like they were in control from beginning to end. Uh, Michigan didn't quit, but and made it a one-score game at one point, but it never really looked as though Michigan was going to win that game. Is this more about TCU or is Harbaugh finally getting to the point where he's got him good enough to not be good enough? And I said that about Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Yeah, you're the all-time winningest coach. Yeah, we were in the mix and in that final five as you went into the, the, the conference championship weekends. But it always seemed that 
Brian Kelly had Notre Dame good enough to just not be good enough. And I'm wondering if Harbaugh is the same way. He has slayed the Dragon two years in a row and won the Big Ten. He's gotten that monkey off his back with his rival at Ohio State. He took a team to the playoffs this year. Now, granted, he had an injury with probably the most dynamic player on his team, the running back. But to be dominated after being the overwhelming favorite in that game, what does that say about Michigan? And are, are we seeing the beginning of the end? Because you know Indianapolis is going to call Harbaugh. You know, you know there are going to be NFL teams that have Harbaugh on line one. Uh, do we see a future of Harbaugh staying at Michigan? And did that game sort of cement it's finally time for him to move on? Quick answers as we get in and out of this segment. I'll start with you on this with Big Flow Show. All right, first one, Harbaugh's gone, and I think it's this year. Um, he wanted to leave last year. Some people get passes. It's like they never talked about the fact that he tried for a Minnesota job, and he just didn't go because they didn't offer it to him. So he's gone this year. I think that, you know, either Denver or the Colts, I think the Colts is actually a great one right there because I think he finished his career at the Colts too. He right? did. He's in their ring yeah. of honor or whatever. He's yeah. in their ring of honor. So I, I see him as the next Colts coach, and uh, maybe just Saturday can, can hang on and be the O-line coach or something. <laughs> but uh, uh, he's gone. Uh, I would disagree with you about the dominance. So if you really look at it, what was the final score? Was It a, uh, it was a one-score game, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that touchdown that, that J.J. McCarthy threw, I feel like the kid was in, and then they have a weird fumble that wasn't really forced. It was a you know mishandling of the ball on the one. That's a seven-point swing. He threw another pick six in the end zone, right, which bad throw on his side. Again, people may or may not have personal friends of the family, so you know I love the kid. I don't want to be biased, but – you know, he threw a pick six in the end zone. That's a 14-point swing right there. You know, they could have scored at least a three or at least a 10-point swing because they were in, in there. So for you to lose one score and have two touchdowns, in essence, that, that could have been, I don't want to minimize the takeaway, but I would just say that, like, I, I don't think that shows dominance from, from the TCU side. That's just me. But The first play but, of the game when Michigan ran um, a, the long run, and, and you know, people have been all week questioning whether or not this 3-3-5 defense could stop the run. I thought it was going to be a dominating performance by Michigan. And I felt after watching the game, while the score is the score, I just felt like TCU was never in jeopardy of losing that game. And, and, and if you feel that way, that to me is a form of domination. But I could be wrong. ETP? I mean, I I wow. thought it was it was it was dominant, but then I think towards the end, Michigan started turning it on. I thought that there was a definitely a chance that they were going to be able to to bring it back. The I thought the coaching decisions, like just the the on the fake onside kick, I thought that was smart and you know being able to prevent them from actually returning it. If the defense if the defense had come up in that last series. They, you know, Michigan could have taken that game. So I don't think it was definitely uh, in the bag. But, you know, Michigan had to play catch up, which they did really well towards the end of the game. They did. But but the defense just couldn't hold them in the in that last series. And that was ultimately the decision. And, you know, all the controversy around when he should have used the timeouts to save the clock. If the defense isn't stopping, then, you, you know, matter. saving that clock doesn't matter. Um or trying to stop the clock oh, yeah, early versus later. Over, <laughs> um, no, you good. I, I would say this, man, because that game, 
Uh, and Big Flo, you've been accused of being a homer when it comes to the Big Ten. But um, I ain't going to put your name out there. I'm just Yo, reading the comments. You got a lot to say, man. You got a lot to say. <laughs> you, you really, uh, really just want to talk about the Green Waves or nobody wants to. only reason I yeah. want to talk about them is because USC lost. I want to talk about their loss. I don't want to talk about their win. Hey, 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 to, shout out to Tulane, though, man. Any day that USC loses is a good day in the Irish world. Uh, but shout out to the Green Wave, man. Uh, they, they, that was a good game. They came back in, in, in inexplicable fashion. USC fans were sick. There's no way they should have lost that game. But that's what makes the bowl games exciting. We talked about the opt-outs and all the people not playing. What I, what I thought was most remarkable in the bowl season was how many of the top prospects that called themselves Crimson Tide went out there and played despite the fact that in the grand scheme of things, that was low reward game. Wasn't a college football playoff. They went out there and dominated. Nick Saban has something more than just recruiting. Nick Saban has NIL, something more than X and He's got you don't think something. NIL has, has anything to do with that? Not, not this year. I think ultimately NIL will. And, and we talked about whether or not an NIL contract could put a stipulation on it such that the player has to play. Because from an NIL standpoint, that is your most prominent platform in bowl season. But I haven't heard of any NIL agreements that have that stipulation therein. Well, it doesn't have to have it doesn't be a it doesn't have to be a stipulation. I mean, it can be a conversation with your, you know, with your marketing manager, your agent to say, look, Fair. this is a marketing opportunity. You know, you got these NIL deals or, hey, they're offering you some other, you know, incremental opportunity at the Maybe. bowl game. Et cetera. Like there's just I, I, I guess for me, that. it's like there's no reason, if the, especially for top prospects, like opt out. Like why risk injury? Just opt out because we've seen that happen. Some so. people do it for the love of the game, man. I think that, that there are two people out there, specifically a defensive end and a quarterback that will hear their names called very early that went out there and played their ass off. And it looked like, again, I'm just another person with his butt in on a couch watching from a, a, you know, a remote location. But it looked like, they wouldn't play because they love a game of football. Well, well, I guess I guess where I'm coming from is the player always wants to play, right? Like I can't. I mean, I I don't even have to ask the two of you this question. Like when it was your choice whether to play or not play. Like what did you choose? You chose to play, right? Like Absolutely. the player wants to play. All I'm saying is the conversation. The reasons why the players opt out generally is because the agents or the family or other people in their business team is like, listen business risk this is the best business decision don't play for the for these reasons but if you leave it up to the player the player is going to play right so if the if the balance is well risk injury but also like you're getting this NIL money and there's this, like even if it just balances out to zero most likely 98% out of 98% of the time the player is going to be like I want to play and I'm also pissed that I'm not in the college football playoffs so let's go prove to them that we should be in there and Alabama did that. But yeah. after the first game in the, in the playoffs, the semifinals, it looked like a classic or potentially instant classic because all that was at stake. And, yes, Michigan did make a formidable comeback and make a game out of it. Then we have a classic that was more classic than that classic. Ohio so, State, also a very, very big underdog. 
came out, took off the gloves, and punched Georgia right in the mouth for three and a half quarters. And Georgia, being the champion that they are, being the best of the SEC, being a proud team, and being under the care of Coach Smart, who I just think is a, a damn good young coach, never gave up. Their backs were on the wall. They were in the corner. They never gave up. That timeout before the fourth and one that Ohio State had every intention and had perfectly executed the fake, that timeout, he was just like, they were unbalanced. It was a, a look we had seen, something I didn't like, is the intuition to be able to make that, call that timeout in that moment and be like, the hell was wasting the timeout. Something ain't right. I think was, to me, the, the, the telltale sign, sign that Georgia was going to win. But still, Ohio State kept fighting. Georgia kept fighting back. And we saw, I think, the most epic college semifinal, college football semifinal to date. What a freaking game. What a freaking game. And it was essentially a home game for Georgia. It's the Peach Bowl. Couldn't be more home than that other than playing in their stadium. I think it was those are two great games. Um, it's funny we talk about opt-outs. There's a couple opt-outs for uh, Ohio State, I believe. I'm not sure if it was injury-related, but I know one of the receivers decided he wasn't playing. He, he could have been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that that's where it gets crazy. Like, man, that's one thing to opt out, but to opt out of a playoff game I think is, is kind of weak. You know, like you got a chance to go there and, and win something for your school and your boys. And most of these guys were opting out. You would think got some decent NIL money. They have a uh, Lloyd's of London contract and does whatever. I'm not going to fault anybody at the end of the day, but I, I would have, I don't know. That's tough, man. You know what I mean? You're going into this bowl game. that means something. These not meaning these meaningless bowl games after what happened to, uh, what was his name? Jalen, uh, Jalen Smith. Was it? Oh yeah. James Smith. Notre Dame. Yep. James Smith. That was and a that. Fiesta bowl. Yep. Fiesta bowl, which again was a good bowl game, but not, you know, wasn't a playoff. And just kind of a fluke guy pushes him and he hurts his knee. And ultimately he played, but he wasn't the guy he could have been in the NFL had it not happened. So I get it. And I don't, you know, I would kind of disagree with you a little bit on that ETP. I think these, these, these guys are kind of growing. There's a growing resentment for college football because they're realizing all this money's coming in. You see the big 10 just got a hundred million dollars per school from 56 with no added expenses coming in uh, a year from now. And I think a lot of these players are saying, F, F this. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not sitting here and uh and putting my life on the line for you for a bowl game. I don't care to, to entertain. I'm not getting anything out of this. Yeah, and I and I think back to how we started this show with DeMar Hamlin. Yeah. Any play could 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 be could lead you to somewhere that you didn't think was possible. Um you know, and 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 someone, and again, we ask you guys to continue to do it. And they're talking about Jigba. Um, he was hurt. He got hurt in the ND game. But I, I I thought that I read that from a health perspective, he was healthy enough to play. And so it was still a decision that yes, um, you got a lot of NFL money forthcoming, um, and not just him. And there were several players, but. You know, that I also understand the decision. That's a tough spot to be in. Um, 
But what a freaking round of semifinals. I'm looking forward to Monday night. Uh, who do you think wins? TCU, Georgia. I'll start with you on this one, ETP. Who you got winning it all? I'm never changing my mind, Georgia. And I'm surprised. I mean, I give it to Ohio State for even making it close, and they could have gotten Georgia out of there. But I, I'm i not going to turn – you know, Georgia's got it, got it locked in. Big flow show. You know what? I'm going to go TCU. At this point, I think that TCU is, you know, because of the one game against Kansas State, which I think most people, if they're being honest, that's the only game they ever watched TCU play this year. Um, I, I think they got slept on. I think they, their quarterback is is, is game. Um, I think their defense is good. Their uh, defense is great. Right. Uh, they make big plays. I'm going to go TCU. Uh, I was I was thinking because when I watched them play, I gotta be honest with you. I I I didn't know, and I and you're right. I'm one of those people that only had seen the Kansas State game, and I look at the Big Twelve sometimes and the scores, and I'm just I roll my eyes. You know, I I, I just don't like any football that doesn't consist of some defense. And in this episode of, of domestic violence, you know, I think that 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 the defensive teams that add violence to their game plan have a way of, of, of changing what you do on offense. And that's why I'm going to give a slight edge to Georgia. But in addition, a guy who was a walk-on who might be 137 years old when he goes into this fight on Monday night, Stetson Bennett, he a winner, man. He's a winner. I, I Look, is will he play at the next level? I don't know. But he'll be the freaking – Mark my word, he'll be the senator in Georgia at some point. I would have voted him over Herschel Walker this year. The dude's a winner. I don't know how he does it. He's a winner, so I got to pick Georgia just because of those two things. Just Defense imagine if he went to Notre Dame. <laughs> then he'd be president. Here come the Irish. So Notre Dame just picked up that Wake Forest quarterback. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting, man. I, I, I'm happy. I tweeted it, you know, like, cool. But something seems odd about college football. It's, it is definitely free agency. Um, and, you know, look, we, we benefited from his decision. So uh, go Irish. There's some other college stuff we're going to get to real quickly. Then we're going to get out of here, man. Um, because uh, recruiting is, is really the linchpin to how these teams end up where they are. Uh, that's what makes TCU such an amazing story is because they don't they don't compete normally with the same recruiting prowess as uh, the other three teams that were in the college football playoffs. Um, but there's a recruiting story this week that blew my mind. And it's a rumor, but how dare we not share the rumor? An LSU recruiting specialist, along with the wide receiver who had said he was coming back, uh, a boote or whatever, uh, and and I and I'm waiting on my man Chufu Jordan Shelton. You've been LSU everything. You've been going with the Saints and the Pelicans. You're trying to change the subject. <laughs> now yeah, now you want to get back into talking about what in the world is going on at LSU? If some recruiting specialist, if reported, is running a train, and by that we don't mean Amtrak, we mean some 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 uh, what do they call that behavior? Some um. Extracurricular. Extracurricular, uh, questionable behavior where there are the, the Morally numbers. Morally bankrupt. What do you want to call it? Morally bankrupt. But 
to have, I mean, that's taking recruiting to a whole nother level. So we'll leave it there. I ain't going to make nobody implicate themselves and talk about what they did in college or what they didn't do and what they read or what shows they watched, the extracurricular shows. But to be reportedly running a train with a player, somebody lost For those of you not familiar with the word train, there was two coaches and a player with their head of recruiting um, doing allegedly, neck, allegedly. allegedly playing neck and twister. And I want to know who broke the story because I haven't heard any uh, accusations of assault, which I was thinking are going to come next. And then they, they put the young lady's business out there and said, she's been known to do this before, which told me, why did you hire her if that's not why you hired her? No, that but, is why they hired her, uh, if indeed that's true. Uh, but no, nah, I, I hope that that's not true, man, because you don't want – there's such a thin line, and that's where this NIL and, and, and all of this – uh, transfer portal stuff and recruiting in general, how it's become big business. This is such a thin line. So we're making light of it because it's just a rumor. Uh, but you got to be careful, man. Don't put your job on the line and, and your reputation and just your morality online for recruiting. Uh, don't put it on the line. Uh, the the things that aren't rumored in college football, Chris Beard, who was – and this is the part where let me just go ahead and and, and pivot a little bit. We named the show Domestic Violence for two very specific stories. Uh, when thinking of domestic violence in the most general terms. Now, we do what we do, as always, the ball sports talk. And we took domestic and we took violence and we, we, we did what we did with all of the stories in today's episode. We'll end with the two stories that are traditional cases of domestic violence in no way whatsoever. No way whatsoever do we condone domestic violence. Uh, in no way whatsoever do we try to uh, make light of it. If you are the victim of domestic violence, while there are a lot of 800 numbers uh, out there, uh, please know that we sympathize with your situation and, and pray for you to get out alive, healthy, and on to a better and healthier relationship. I'll, stay, I'll start there. Um. Chris Beard, who was the Texas University of Texas basketball coach, was uh, suspended initially, indefinitely, and yesterday fired. Uh, Nyman was called to his home, and his fiance, uh, in the report, now she's denying it, but the fiance at the time called nine one one, and it was uh, reported that there was evidence that he. Chris Beard had choked his fiance. Texas has now fired him. Uh, Dana White. It wasn't reported. It was recorded. Uh, and Dana White's wife, who let's call her Mrs. White. I don't know her name, so I'll just say his wife. Uh, his wife strikes him first. And then Dana White strikes back and knocks her down to the ground. Growing up with three sisters, and I've said this here on this show, our message about domestic violence is that as human beings, we all should keep our hands off one another. The blank check that 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 for generations, um, it has seemed to exist that men have been told, no matter what, don't hit women back. You can't assume that everybody is wired that way to adhere to those principles. And so I say people shouldn't hit people because you don't want to be in the situation. So 
We'll see what happens. Uh, Dana White is big business. Dana White is connected to all of these networks and MMA. What he has done with the UFC is big business, multi-billion dollar business at this point. Um, but to see it captured on camera, recorded, how dare I not get flashbacks of Ray Rice? Ray Rice never played another down in the NFL. And his wife, I think, are still together. Ray Rice, his entire life ended in that moment. And we'll see what happens with Dana White. Is that fair? That that I don't know if either one of you wanted to weigh in. I don't want to put you on the spot, but and I know I'll that they probably that, go ahead. I'll say owners are not held to the same standard by a long shot um of what's going on. I mean, look at Robert Kraft. And uh, Deshaun Watson. I mean, Robert Kraft was like, nothing happened. What are you going to do? So I think if you make the comparison, that's not apples to apples, but as far as how quickly it just kind of disappeared, uh, it is. I think in this situation, you know, he got on there, he said he was drunk. He didn't look like a guy who was sloppy drunk, but he said he was drunk. Um, his wife did hit him first. I don't never been in a domestic violence situation, never had anyone really close to me. You know, well, I should take that back. I have had that, but I, I don't. I don't know. I never understood what makes a a man hit a woman, but I don't understand what makes a woman hit a man either. So it'll go. It'll blow over. He's in a fighting a fighting sport where he's the the owner. They're not going to make him not the face of it. Um, I think it's very unfortunate. I don't care to find out more about the story, but I think it's unfortunate that that happened uh, to either of them. Um, but again, I'm not. I don't want my son to ever hit his wife or his girlfriend or whatever's in his life. And I also don't want my daughter to ever hit the man in her life. So I'll leave it at that without passing a final word on it. ETP, uh, no, no need to weigh in, but I want to make sure I gave you the space. Um, you know, domestic violence is a real thing, man. And we, we find out a lot of times too late. We find out after the story is tragic that, it's been an ongoing existing thing in people's relationships. So um, before I, I pass it to you, I'll just say that if there are any signs of it, if someone has showed you that they're willing to, to raise their hand, that means that they are willing to do so at any point. And just be careful. My, my plea to people that are involved in those situations, whether it's a man being hit by their woman or a woman being hit by their man, and this is 2023, so let's take genders out of it. Anybody in any relationship being hit by the other person, uh, is something that is, is is strongly concerns me. And so in this episode of domestic violence, uh, we'll end it there. And I see the people weighing in. Please continue to like, comment, share, tag a friend, tag a foe. But also, if you know someone that is involved in any relationship that could be mildly or moderately described as a domestic violence situation, I, I beg you to, to first speak to them and let them know that you're going to try to get help for them. But if indeed they don't know that they need help, because that is what the battered wife syndrome is all about. That that theory is about people not knowing that they need help. Uh, let's make sure that we help them. The signs are often there and the excuses are rampant. I ran into a wall or I got hit by a door. But the truth of the matter is, is that people have lost their lives because they were in the wrong relationship with the wrong, with the wrong person and accepting the wrong practices of abuse. And to lose anyone in that situation, it's so, so preventable. It's tragic. So in this episode of Domestic Violence, we end with that. 
we encourage everyone to encourage others uh, um, along with themselves uh, to be in, involved in healthy relationships, do what you need to do to thrive in that healthy relationship. And when it seems unhealthy, it might mean it's time to go. We'll end it there. Uh, like we ask you every week, humbly, please like, comment, share, tag a friend, tag a foe, tag anyone that you know, and please subscribe to both our YouTube channel and to our podcast. We had the whole crew in the building today. We had our man, the Big Flow Show. He wasn't coming from the Middle Coast, coming from a sunny place in the world, but he was in the building and made the sacrifice with our man ETP, else the producer. Uh, the crew is in the building. We make the sacrifice on a weekly basis every Friday. It is the Ball Hall Sports Talk where sports, business, and entertainment collide. We do it one way and one way only, rough, rugged, and raw. I am your boy, B. Brown, ESQ, a.k.a. the Ball Hall, a.k.a. the Mother South, a.k.a. Mr. Excessive Celebration, a.k.a. Crazy. This has been the domestic violence episode of the Ball Hall Sports Talk. Have a great week, the first Friday of 2023. Go claim your dreams and go work to make sure that they become a reality. Because with that, we is out. Peace.